This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner, craft beer and brewing co-founder and editorial director. My guest on the podcast today is Jeremy Myers from Neshaminy Creek Brewing in Croydon, Pennsylvania. This is a continuation of our conversation that started in episode eight of the podcast. Jeremy, you might remember, is a four-time and reigning uh, brewer of the year, as named by the readers of Philly Beer Scene Magazine. And Neshaminy Creek Brewing, for the last three years in a row, has been voted brewery of the year by those same readers. Join the conversation now in midstream as we talk about everything from their creative approach to brewing business to his experience in music and more. We're doing live recording now at the brewery. Yeah, for because uh, we've been doing a lot more live music lately. So I yeah. have I have a sixteen track digital rig. Nice. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I did like I, I recorded Jay Robbins uh, an acoustic. Wow! Uh, th- about a month ago, yeah, a little less than four, three weeks ago, and then uh, we got an acoustic show with a couple of dudes coming up uh, here next weekend, and then in November we have the Scofflaws and uh, the King Django Band. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, <clears throat> December we have Off of Their Heads, Iron Sheik, um, and then band from Pittsburgh called Barons, and another band from Philly called uh, Big Nothing. Yeah. So that hopefully uh, you guys releasing that stuff. Or? So the, the goal is is to record it, mix it. Um, you know, I got Alan uh, Douches from West West Side. He, he actually mastered the the Jay Robbins stuff. Then hmm. um, I've I've been friends with Alan for a while, so he's uh, pretty pretty uh, generous with his time. He, yeah. He knows you know all about the project and what it is, and and uh, he doesn't you know he's totally about you know. I, I mean, I've done so many regulars now. He's like, yeah, man, I don't care. It's like, you know, just throw me some beer and some, you know, money every once in a while. Hey, there you go. So the goal is to put up, uh, like, between four and six songs of each set uh, for free download. Um, actually, there's a, a Bandcamp website or page that I had done uh, a bunch of recordings with bands. And when I, did, I was doing the Jumpstart podcast, uh, I had come up, some of them came out pretty well. I was pretty happy with it. So this is going to be an extension of that. And actually, the guy that did the artwork for all those releases works at the brewery. So it's just black and white artwork. Um, it's it's pretty cool. At jumpstartrecordslive.bandcamp.com, if you want to check it out in the future. But uh, it uh, we just uh, gonna put the stuff up, let people download it, and then you know as it continues to grow and build, if you know it, you know maybe we'll uh, get you know get permission, you know do a charity type thing and press like a limited seven inch of one of the one of the recordings and and whatnot. So sort of a you know obviously a cross promotional thing with bringing you know both worlds that sure have kind of. You know, hovered in, <laughs> or you know, both worlds that I've been in for the past twenty-five years. Yeah, you know, since since recording music now as a loss leader to to drive concert revenue, uh, I guess it doesn't matter that much if you're uh, as long as you're paying to or you're doing it yourself and then paying to have it mastered. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. And I mean, gets it, the message out for the bands and, and drives I mean, an audience have, in the crowd. I definitely, I, I'm, I know I'm probably not correct in this, or this is probably a false statement, but I feel like we have the nicest PA of any brewery in America. <laughs> um, I mean, not that there's a, there isn't other breweries that have uh, guys that, you know, musicians and guys that have been in bands and touring bands and a lot of experience, but we have an overabundance of it, you know, even to the point where, like, still our, our uh, events coordinator, Jeff, who handles all the logistics for, 
um, not just the events at the brewery, but also uh, a lot of the logistical back, you know, background work that has to be done for events that we're doing, like, like bars, restaurants, like tap sure. takeovers, stuff like that, uh, beer dinners. Uh, Jeff is uh, was in the band Jenner Berlin, but is still in uh, the band Restorations, uh, who were on Side One Dummy. The new record's not coming out on Side One, but uh, Jeff also is the the talent buyer at Boot and Saddle downtown, hmm. and also works at Union Transfer. Uh, which are two, but Boone said I was a smaller venue, but uh, Union Transfer is probably the nicest club in the city. Um, and and he's been working with R5 for a while, so it's, you know, we have a good connection to these bands and, and agents already with, with Jeff, and then obviously, right. you know, there's a bunch of other dudes in, in bands and, and musicians and whatnot too, or have some sort of background either connected to Jumpstart or somewhat loosely connected to Jumpstart just because I knew them or whatnot, so... Uh, yeah, definitely bringing those two worlds together and, and having some fun with it, you know, and we... We definitely have had uh, a lot of good bands play the brewery over the last five years. So, and we'll see where year six gets us. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. My side of the podcast, I let John talk about industry and uh, you know politics and current issues sure and on the business side of thing. And I'm trying to talk about beer okay. and brewing it, just because sure uh, you know we're, it's our magazine and our brand is beer yeah. and brewing. Yeah. Brewing in, the, in the business of beer, <laughs> so you're covering both. Yeah, we do that. You know, we have we have our brewing industry guide and cover that uh, that too. But well, thank you for that little write up too. I, I totally forgot about that write up that was coming in that uh, the industry uh, guide. Oh, did we do a write up on you guys? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. I totally. I, I remember doing the phone conversation, but then I had kind of right like the story that Tom wrote. Yeah. 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 No, I you know I, it's uh, it's interesting to to kick out these case studies, and I think. Uh, on that side, what I found really interesting, and I think you guys are on the top end of a, of a trend that's going to continue to expand like that, and that is current and successful craft breweries uh, buying uh, troubled breweries, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, and being able to to um, both allow for the exits of those folks and to uh, you know to make you know, turn them into successful properties that are actually contributing to the craft beer community, and you know, yeah, I mean, uh, in our case uh, it was a shame that they you know the you know the brewery brewery that was in that building before we purchased it guild hall it was a shame that they weren't successful because they did a, an unbelievable job renovating yeah. and yeah. remodeling that building um uh, if i you know the easiest way of kind of explaining it is that they spent all their money doing that sure um and they didn't really hire you know an experienced uh an experienced brewer that was also you know keyed in with what's going on in craft beer right now you know they you know the the brewer and owner the head brewer and owner was really, you know, he, he had worked at a, a brew pub in the city in the past, so he had experience, but he was, you know, the IPAs were, you know, 20 years old. Yeah. You know, no one's trying to drink. Not to say you can't make that, but you, you know, that's, it, it's funny that, you know, in English style, for, like in malt forward, caramel forward, you know, traditional like sea hop IPA is something that is 20 years old now. And people, right. and that's become a specialty, you know, like, oh, this is our one-off, you know. <laughs> American IPA, which is cool. It's it's interesting to drink this, but that you, you can't base a business model around that. Right, it's, right. You have to be dynamic and flexible and be able to 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 adjust and move. You know, and still, it's it's funny because uh, and we can talk about this in a little bit. But I'm I'm getting involved with another project um, with one of our, one of our brewers is opening a brewery, hmm. and uh, I've uh, put together a group that's helping him. Yeah, um, and, and whatnot. And one of the things that I feel like he, you know. Every brewer, a lot of brewers, not every brewer, but a lot of brewers, when they, they leave their brewery that they're at or they want to start their own brewery, they want to make their beer, which, you know, that's great. Everybody wants to make their beer. Everybody, right. everybody makes their beer. But you also have to understand that at the end of the day, you're going to make the beer that, that people want. Right. You know, that pays the bills. You know, it's like, for example, we didn't make Kylon IPA because I, you know, was 
thinking about, I mean, I was thinking about it in the sense that it would be a beer paying bill, but it's also the IPA I want to make, you know, and it just happens to be that I have to make it all the time now. <laughs> you know, we're, we're at this point where that is, that and Shape of Fobs to Come are obviously our bread, right. bread and butter. So we, you know, we, of the 24 brews we do a week right now, 18 of them are County Line and Shape. Wow. So, which then puts a stress and strain on the rest of the brands and what we're <laughs> supposed to do. But what do you, you know, how you, you know, when you can't make enough of those two beers, how do you determine which is more important? Obviously, the ones that are, are selling, you know, not that our other brands don't sell, but, you know, there's a huge difference between the sales rate of a Vienna lager and a, you know, and a double IPA or, right. or a single IPA. So uh, that's the biggest challenge we've had lately, among other things. <laughs> you see it in a lot of states where craft beer laws have changed or brewing laws have changed specifically or distribution laws have changed that have allowed for the expansion and growth of new breweries. Yeah. Um, in our area, the, the big ringer of that would be New Jersey. New Jersey, Pennsylvania too, but Pennsylvania has always been, uh, as far as the state laws are concerned, very brewery friendly. Right. Um, not consumer friendly, although they are now. I'd say the consumer side of things has changed completely and drastically over the last five years. But New Jersey has been playing catch up. And the one thing we see, or at least I see, and I feel like, and you see it in other states and other markets as well, is that uh, local doesn't mean good and new doesn't mean good. Sure. Um, and that's, I think that's sort of a reckoning that's going to be coming in craft beer, you know, coming right. in craft beer here real soon because there's certainly a lot of new breweries that are making good beer, but there's also even more breweries that I think are making bad beer. And there isn't a filter, you know, there isn't someone, you know, I still think craft beer drinkers in, in, in whole, you know, there's a lot of educated craft beer drinkers, but you know, right. by far the majority of craft beer drinkers are very uneducated about beer um, and don't, you know, don't know what is supposed to be an off flavor, what is acceptable, you know, for, you know, what, and again, you know, they, they determine what's accepted. Market does sure, to a certain extent, sure. but also, you know, it's one of those things that feeds into it. I've had so many beers from so many new breweries that people rave about, you know, or this brewery or that brewery. And, you know, all these guys are, you know, they're good, you know, they're good guys. They know what they're doing. You know, they're a really good brewery and you should, you should try their stuff. And then I have it and it's like, well, this is a diacetyl bomb, you know, or, you know, they're using one of the things I've noticed, especially because in our our areas you have the New England IPA, the hazy IPA, and that just doesn't make it good, you know. Because one of the sure, and sure. there are a lot of you know, and I, it's kind of a funny topic for me because I think sometimes a lot of people feel like that I'm overly negative about that style of beer, and I'm not. Um, yes, I'm, you are. I'm not. not yeah, you are. No, I'm not. I'm a realist about that style. Uh, you know, as a as a, a an owner and a, for the you know, record, I've had plenty of arguments with you about this in the past, but I don't remember. You know, maybe you've taken away from this the wrong impression because my, here's my my take on is it. Is it turbid or is it hazy, Jeremy? Well, turbid. They're definitely turbid. What's being put out on the market is turbid. And again, I don't think that that necessarily by in itself makes it wrong or sure, bad. Sure, sure. The problem I have with it, and one of the things I've noticed is that there's such a rush, especially in our market, to make these styles that um, they're just getting, you know, these brewers are getting horrible hops. Really, yeah. really bad hops. Yeah. Um, you know, there's... I've noticed such a huge onion and garlic character in a lot of these beers because they're getting late season high alpha stuff that this has a ton of di dimethyl trisulfide conversion or already in the pellets. So you're getting, you know, what in low levels would give you that mango or pineapple in, in these, you know, really old, you know, or now, you know, there's a reckoning coming on hops too. You know, there's the spot market is being artificially controlled right now, in my opinion, because there's a ton of spot and, and Yakima is freaking out because they don't want the, the bottom to fall out of it so sure. they don't lose all the, these this money from this con these contracts they have but that doesn't you know that doesn't make these hops good um, you know I just got done doing selection on Monday you know and as a brewer that's able to one be able to contract and use that amount and then go and do selection you know that's that's 
this and it being the first time we've been able to do it with these main varieties, uh, aroma and flavor varieties, like just having what was put on the table for us, I was I was satisfied with what we selected, but um, it's still wasn't exactly you know you, you get some hops that are great, some batches that are great, you know you know batches of Simcoe where you put eleven pounds in a bucket and it smells like a bucket of mangoes. Um, or you get 11 pounds that smell like, you know, a cat just pissed on it, you know, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, we have more control of that now because we are doing selection. Um, whereas a lot of these other smaller breweries that are doing less than, you know, a thousand or less than, you know, two or 3000 barrels a year. And they're doing these uh, on-premise can releases and, and limited distribution and stuff, you know, they're getting really bad hops. And then people are equating like, Oh, well, this is just dank and juicy. And it's not, to me, it's not. Um, and again, I've had plenty of breweries that are making these styles that make great, you know, great beers that um, I think are really good. But I've had even more, you know, maybe tenfold how many more I've had from breweries that are just not making because they don't have access. They're not, they're not getting good hops. You know, it, I mean, we're not talking about like infections or other problems. They generally, you, know, sure. you see that. I mean, you see some diacetyl here because people are taking it off the yeast too, too quickly. But I mean, I it still doesn't equate to good, and that's that's one of the problems I think needs to. It, I think it'll. It's already starting to. You know, to no, and I, I actually agree with you on that one. Um, you know, if I look at the way that even our blind panel, you know, rates rates these beers, if you go back a couple of years, every hazy IPA scored really high, and part of that was the whole style was new. It was a new new approach to flavor. You know, they they were getting a pop out of these that uh, didn't get out of other IPAs, and they were flavor forward, not bitter forward. And yeah. so, you know, just the very nature of it meant that there was a little bit of a style bias towards it because you know it was something new and fresh and exciting, and uh, everything seemed great. And then we watched those scores over the last two years, and then every, every single time we uh, you know we put hazy IPAs in front of them. Uh, now that they're more familiar, and now that it's uh, you know it's just a style that's you know. Uh, that they drink as much as every other style and uh, the judges themselves have had more contact with this style in general uh, you know the ratings get more realistic now we're back into the uh, yeah well, you know this this is not a great one this is a great one mm-hmm. um, they were starting to pull the flaws out of those beers and some of the things they could have done better and, and part of that is because there's a broader context of beers to pull against yeah um, you know and so as you as you now see what's possible in that hazy world now that spectrum between good and not so good uh, is more defined I, I agree in yeah. a way that uh, yeah a couple years ago def- it just wasn't it's also being defined because of the raw material like yeah. I was saying like that's you know the breweries that we're doing at the beginning are generally you know especially you know their breweries right now that are making a lot of beer and they ha- they've had access to good good raw right. materials you know whereas you know your your small you know 500 barrel brew pub that wants to jump into that world right. may not have access to you know a, well, more like more likely doesn't have access to, you know if they are in contract for some of those hops they're not certainly not doing selection and if they're buying it on the spot it's it's hit or miss you know right. you might get one batch you know 220 pounds of Simcoe or Citra or Mosaic or whatever, that's great. And the next one is just an onion patch. Right. You know? So, and I've seen that myself. You know, we, you know, as sure. a, you know, brewery now. I mean, we're going to hit. Uh, we're going to be close to twenty thousand barrels this year. Um, right. We're just under ten thousand the first six months of this year. So, you know, as a brewery that's doing twenty thousand barrels, you know, we're beholden to that. You know, not after this harvest year. <laughs> right. But even this year has been a challenge at times. Yeah. Um, because. The lots and the and the batches that we've gotten, some of them have been just pure pure gold, and some of them have been you know wow. I think that's an, that's a, an interesting point. It's a you know it's one uh, an argument to be made for some of the bigger folks in that hazy IPA uh, you know spectrum, uh, the tree houses and trilliums of the world who are now brewing in the. 
25 to 30,000 barrel a year range and, you know, keeping it very focused on those hops, heavy beers within that barrelage uh, certainly do are brewing enough beer and buying yeah. enough hops that they can contract really aggressively exactly. and uh, and use that way to make sure that they are getting some of the best hops out there. And, uh, and that certainly is a competitive that the, differentiator. That and the consistency, like uh, one of the things that we obviously are concerned about, and I know those other breweries are also concerned about because I've had beers from a lot of those other breweries where they're great you know this batch or this, this can is pretty good this can you know next batch that i get yeah months, it's not light and, you know night and day different but it is different you know there is a consistency issue there because they deal with the same problems that we deal with right and, that, and that, you know and i'm sure they're at a point now where they can you know it's it's especially for example like with the shape of hops that come that's the one beer people are like oh what do you guys do different to this beer it's like we didn't do anything different you know like one of the differences we have and things that we can't control and we recognize, and I, you know, again, this goes back to the education of craft beer consumers, is that you know we're using agricultural products, and we're doing as much as we can internally, you know, both from a production standpoint and from a lab and an analysis standpoint to make sure you know our beer is as consistent as possible. But there is also things that we can't do because we don't have that budget or we don't have that equipment, you know, that analytical equipment to be able to do that stuff, um, and where we didn't have the ability or the option to be able to do hop selection. Which, I mean, for example, our selection on Monday, we weren't. Of the three batches of uh, lots of citra that were on the table, we weren't overly thrilled with one over, you know, there was one that we really didn't like, and then two that we liked a little bit of the qualities of this and a little bit of the qualities of that. And so something that we hadn't even thought of until we got there was we asked Yakima Chief, hey, you know, we have 10,000 pounds on contract. Can we have it, this pelletized with five, you know, 5,000 pounds of this and 5,000 pounds of this? So it's going to be a mixed blend between those two batches, mm -hmm. which ultimately that's a choice that we made that we felt was the best for us and we were going to get the best hop, um, you know, the best version of Citra for us for next year. Whereas if we were just buying it under 5,000 pounds and, you know, oh, still on contract, but we're not able to do selection. We, you know, you look at the three variable, you know, lots that were on the table, like of the 5,000 on our contract, maybe a thousand when it came from lot A, 2,000 when it came from lot, you know, B and then the other 2,000 when it came from lot C, which means the beer, you know, that those, that hop is being used in, which is shape you know, with citra, this example being citra, that's where you're going to see your variability. That, and that's not anything we can control. Right. You know, and I mean, I do think people do notice that. I mean, I notice it. Um, I, I think the majority of people don't, um, but there are people that are going to notice it. And I don't think it makes us, it certainly doesn't make us a bad brewer. It's just nothing we can do about that until right. we're where we are now. No, that's a that's a good point. I uh, you know even year to year variability is a is a big deal. And Citra in particular, some of the brewers I've talked to, uh, as they switched over from uh, the 2015 crop year to 2016 crop year, yeah. found that uh, their beers were hazier. Yeah, uh, no, no process change, nothing changed. That's and it because was of the hop. Just yeah. just hop year change. Um, you know the, the crop year change, and and all of a sudden, yeah, the the haziness in the beer itself. Yeah, I mean your your polyphenol levels in your hop from one batch to the next are not going to be the same. Right. You know? So you're definitely going to run into issues. That's that's a consistency issue with a brand or a style right. like that as well. And then the biggest thing that I've said, and one of the reasons why people, you know. I get asked this question a lot, uh, being a brewery that does on-premise, you know, can sales, but also has some, you know, big double IPAs that we put out in the market as well through distribution. But the one thing that we concern ourselves with most is that we've shied away from doing that style completely because at the end of the day, we're a production brewery that has to have a concern of, of quality control and, and, and shelf stability. Um, we, you know, that beer, that style, I think it's great because it's, you know, it should be drank fresh. Um, but it does not have legs. You know, you're not sending that beer into the market with an expectation of that beer tasting, you know, the way you want it to at 45 or 50 days, as opposed to you know 14 days. You know, like I, 
you know, me personally, our, our Kylan IPA and Shape, you know, they hit their stride about 21 to 24 days after packaging. You know, I, I drink these beers insane, <laughs> sure, you know, an insane sure. amount. Um, I drink a lot of beer, uh, you know, other you know breweries, tons of other breweries all the time. You know, it's, it's a gauge of where, you know, I feel like our beer is and what we're doing well and what we're not doing well. And, and uh, you know, especially on the packaging end, like how long our beer can stay in the market, how long it is staying in the market and what we do production and sales wise to control um, that inventory uh, and, and, and whatnot what, and, and that supply of what we're giving our, our wholesalers. But that, you know, knowing that, you know, I've had our beer at 45, you know, I've had Kylan, I've had Shape at 45 days. Um, I mean, I had a, I took a four pack of Shape off the first production line in January of this year and took it home and put it in my cold box. And I drank the first can in June. Um, so it was in my refrigerator for six months. And, I, you know, I'm drinking it and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, maybe this is just an egotistic thing, but I, you know, I said to my, the first I says, I wish every brewery could make a beer that stands up like this. You know, that's because to me it was, I mean, I was like, I was blown away, you know, that at six months, I mean, great, it was sitting in my refrigerator for six months, not exposed to light or heat right. or anything like that. But it was, it was awesome. It, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, you know, it's funny to think, you know, obviously sitting in a shelf or, or you know, on the floor of a wholesaler that you know you're not getting that kind of treatment but that's that's what we strive for i want that beer to taste i want to be satisfied i i know it's not going to be perfect in six months but i want it to be i want to be satisfied with the way it tastes in six months and that's one of the things that that's why we've shied away from the style because that style is not going to do that and when sure, you're leaving that sure. much organic material in, 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 in the liquid you're just not going to get that you know that doesn't make the beer style bad it doesn't make it wrong it doesn't make it better or cooler than anything else but that's just a production concern that we have as a brewery because you know <laughs> i've seen it a million times people grab a case of beer and then they sit on it for five months i'm like why would you do that you know right, i, I right. did it because it's just a four pack in my cold box and, and i'm the brewer but uh people are going to do that so you have sure. to have a reasonable expectation as a as a brewery you know and, and a brewer that you want that beer to taste as good as it can taste at 45 or 50 or 60 days you know no it was a it was a funny one we were uh, up at the brewer's retreat uh, earlier this week and someone brought a bottle of beer from a brewery and i'm not going to name names just to protect the guilty but uh, tommy arthur pulls it out and shows it to me he's like hey check this one out it's a dub new england style double ipa and the label says you can seller it up to six months. <laughs> <laughs> and Tommy's been pretty outspoken against that. Yeah, too, he is. So. He is. No, he was funny. He was drinking. He drank uh, two cans of Juicy Bits in a row, mm-hmm. uh, hazy mm-hmm. IPA, uh, while telling me how much he is doesn't that like. Works? That's uh, Weldworks. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, while telling me how much he doesn't like doesn't like the style, and uh, <laughs> uh, but you know you can also take a. a he has a, a the viewpoint that I appreciate is that he knows he doesn't like he doesn't personally like the style. It's not the beer he wants to make, and it doesn't fit his personal palate. Uh, but he can still drink them uh, and enjoy them for what they are. Yeah, and uh, and also differentiate within that between ones that are well made and ones that are not well made. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there is a range. Yeah, you know, and so that's you know fair enough. Tom, Tommy's gonna Tommy will be Tommy. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna. Well, he's, you know, he's earned it. <laughs> he has. He absolutely he can, has. You know, he's a. I don't want to call him an elder statesman because he's not that old, but he's a definitely a you know a regarded you know craft beer statesman, and so he, yeah. he, he he's a great dude too. I mean, he's been unbelievably helpful to us. You know, when we've asked him questions, we've we've been lucky to to have a you know a, a pretty good relationship with him. And when we met him a few years back, and and, and being able to ask him, I mean, a couple of years ago, Steve and I went out. Uh, actually, when we were at NHC in San Diego, you know, we went up and visited Port. Right. Uh, and you know him and. Um, his lab manager starts with a G. I want to say it's Gail, but uh, 
or, or Gwen. I think it's Gwen. I can't remember her name. It's been two years now. But uh, we'll edit that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit that one out. Uh, but they, you know, they were both super generous in showing us like you know what they're doing. Like every question we asked, you know, yeah. that's. I mean, that's a craft beer thing. You know, it's something that's uh, very unique to this industry. But it's also, you know, someone like Tommy who's been in this this game so long and has been so successful doesn't have to take the time out of day. You know, just for two relatively, you know, new brewers from a new brewery on the East sure. Coast. You know, I mean, we didn't fly all the way out there for, you know, to, <laughs> sure, right? You know, but it, you know, we were just there, and he took the time. He took four hours, four hours out of his day to do that, which is pretty massive, pretty, pretty awesome. No, he's a, he's a pretty uh, ace bowler yeah. as well. I'll tell you, don't put money down against that guy. Really? Because, we were uh, talking over the scores over two hundred, uh, you know, on the reg. Hustled us hard at the, uh, <laughs> and there was a mini mini uh, bowling uh, alley in the basement of the resort. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, he was blowing like yeah, hundred, hundred and ten, and then the money came out, and all of a sudden he's got a hundred and fifty up there on the, uh, you know, like, he's a ringer, crushed everybody. Yeah, nice, so. you got grifted. <laughs> hey, hey, he took thirty five bucks from all of us, nice, so nice. Uh, you know, getting by somewhere he's the IPA. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.